in the industry, like I think you'd also see things like the growing trend of salon suites where barbers no longer have to like rent out a booth space within a traditional barber shop. They can rent out, call it like co-working spaces for the beauty or like some service professionals. And in that, they're able to create their own experience and their own vibe. And you've seen a lot of barbers lean towards that trend in the industry. And that's kind of where we, that's where we play and find the most success because our platform is literally for those type of barbers where they don't have, again, like, the brand of a barbershop to drive that foot traffic and walk-ins. And so those barbers are able to use the cut and get that visibility and get those new business in a way that they weren't before. Welcome to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, powered by Gusto. On this show, we explore the intersection of fintech, vertical SaaS, and how software combats the rising complexity of running a business. Our goal is to share stories, advice, and best practices from the leaders and investors behind today's cutting-edge platforms. Here's your host, Shamrat Nyoki. On this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, my guest is Obi Omile, CEO and co-founder of The Cut. They're a DC-based mobile app modernizing the barbershop experience with 4.5 million users. Obi was previously an engineer at Wells Fargo and Accenture and started The Cut in 2016 based on struggles of finding a great barber. Obi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sam. It's a pleasure. So, so Obi, I, you know, you have this incredible story, not only about The Cut, but also just you personally. I'd love to start with, with you kind of sharing about your background and ultimately how you led to finding The Cut. Absolutely. I feel like my background is very similar to those who go into business trying to solve their own problem. Like something was bothering you and you just needed a solution and then you end up building a business around it. I was graduating college in 2014, studied economics, ambitions to go work at like the World Bank or the IMF, putting into economic policy and finance and you know, just like understanding how people work. However, was not able to find my footing there. So I ended up taking that summer after graduation to learn how to code. That landed me in Wells at a job at Wells Fargo, which, as, as you mentioned, where I was uh, in Shaw, North Carolina. And I'd spent nearly two months down there without getting a haircut, which for me is entirely too long because I get my haircut every two weeks. The issue isn't that there weren't great barbers in Charlotte. I just had no good way to discover them. At the time, like the best alternative was a Google search, which would give me like the shop level, but not the individual barbers, or I could ask some guy on the street or some guy I knew who went to a barber locally, which is all fine. But if you have a very particular, you know, call it hairline or head shape, you feel like you want a little more control over that process and discovery. And so that's what really led to me thinking, like, there's got to be a better way to find a dope barber. This is around the same time you're seeing like Uber, Handy, Lyft, so many companies being born out of like Craigslist, or they've just leveraged mobile technology and built a marketplace connecting two parties. And so I said, oh, this might be a dope opportunity for barbershops. Fast forward a year later, me and my boy are working on like early versions of like, you know, separate apps. And then the cut wins. And here we are six years later. You all raised some capital. Congrats on that about a year ago, if, if I'm thank you, thank you. recall. But maybe you can talk about your journey from you started this company and you decided to go on this venture based business. Absolutely. My co founder and I started this company in 2016. And we started with the only like, money that we had bootstrapped and saved up from working. And so that's what got us out of the way. Like He was able to build an incredible platform, and I spent the rest of the time figuring out how do we grow it. And so that's how we got out the door. We raised funds along the way through a 
variety of different methods. Worked through like our angel network from our alumni universities. That led us to launching a crowdfunding campaign in which we went through Republic. We had we raised a couple hundred thousand dollars. We had a ton of our barbers and clients actually invest in the company. So it created real ownership. And that was a proof of concept that allowed us to get into tech stars, which allowed us to also raise additional funds. So we've had like a very, a lot of steps along the way, which culminated in us raising our first like real artificial venture round in 2020, right before the, right before the pandemic, where we were able to raise four and a half million. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been a journey. Basically three or four years, you all were just kind of going at it uh, just from your savings and just going at it alone. Yeah. I mean, it was my boy and I, so two of us, and we were able to recruit two friends that we knew from school. And so the four of us, we were fortunate enough to have like our parents that we were able to stay with. And so, you know, you know, it's the whole startup in a garage idea. We're working out of our childhood bedrooms. And for the first four years, literally until the pandemic, it was just the four of us. So we had very low burn other than just like trying to promote the product. And yeah, we were able to build an incredible business along the way. Well, congrats. I, I don't know if any of this is true because I've been reading it online, but do you all work with Jay-Z? I, I saw something about <laughs> sort of funding and being part of your financing. I'm curious if you, if you know him. No, not yet. I, and if anyone can make an introduction, we'd really appreciate it. But we're actually working with a company he invested in, Outro. They allow people to build their credit through subscription payments. So we worked with them, allowing the cut to be one of those subscription payments. So like barbers paying the monthly subscription on the cut can help build their credit. And so that was our partnership with Outro. And again, Jay-Z invested in them. But yeah, no, nah, if someone can introduce me to Jay-Z, that, yeah, much love. Well, any of our listeners, if you uh, are interested in, in learning about uh, the cut and talking to Obi, there's an opportunity there for those that have, that have connections with Jay-Z. Well, let's, let's jump in and talk about the cut specifically. You know, Absolutely. this is definitely an emerging category. I mean, obviously barbershops have, have existed for, for decades, but tell us about what the cut does. And I want to kind of dig into a little about you know, some unique aspects of your strategy. Absolutely. So the cut is a mobile technology platform for the barbershop industry. Today, we have a, a business management tool for barbers to use to optimize their schedule, promote their business in a more efficient way. And then as we built up this network of barbers around the country, we've been able to surface them to anyone like you or I who's looking for a barber anywhere around again to the country. So you can be here in Virginia or California. You can book a barber in Texas or New York when you're going to be in town. And so that's how the platform works today. We built this two-sided marketplace where barbers can run the business and then anyone like you or I can discover a barber, book with them and pay all with the app. Got it. Got it. And you know what? I, I know this category... Uh, we'll talk about some other players here in the space. I mean, you have a an interesting strategy. You're kind of going after the consumer, you and I, who are looking for a barber. You're also going after the barber itself. Uh, that's a really tough business because you kind of have to make the magic of the marketplace work. You know, how are you acquiring consumers? Like, how are you acquiring the barbers? Obviously, I know some of this is probably your secret sauce. Mm-hmm. Whatever you can share about building that marketplace sort of strategy. I know there are other vertical SaaS companies that are trying to do something similar? For sure. I think for us, our focus and how we kind of really build our brand is like leaning into the consumer that we're really targeting, which are barbers. And when I say that, again, I say barbers and not barbershops. So when we built our platform, we built them specifically for barbers and allowed them to basically be entrepreneurs in a way that they haven't been before. You don't have to rely on like the brand of a shop 
to drive your new business. Um, you're able to use the cut as a platform to like showcase your skills and ability and get discovered by new clients that way. That's how we differentiate our platform and our strategy of acquisition is really around going after individual barbers. An individual barber typically already has a book of business, right? And so they're going to come with clients already. And so we're able to like find a barber, get them on our platform, show them the true value, and then they bring some clients with them. Those clients tell other friends, those clients maybe tell another barber they know. And so we have like this full network effect that starts to happen. And yeah, organic growth is really how we've grown to where we are today. Like still, it still holds true. About 50% of our barbers who sign up on a monthly basis so that they signed up because another barber told them to. So referrals are great, word of mouth, and really building a community for barbers has been how we position ourselves in a marketplace. And does, does uh, just to understand this a little bit more, the barber uh, uses the cut. But does the consumer also use the cut? So both sides of the marketplace are using your products? Yep. So the barber obviously will use the app to like, you know, manage a schedule, um, set up their services and like design their business in a digital booth. And then as a consumer, you and I can download the app as well to book our appointment. That way we have details on it. We can see ratings and reviews. We can look through a barber's photos, like look through his price list and his service offering. That way we have a lot more knowledge about this service provider but we're before we have to make a decision and so that way we're relieving a lot of stress and like uncertainty with the haircut experience because no one ever wants to put their hairline at risk and so in doing that we're able to you know provide a better experience for both the barber and the client all in one app got it got it well i i think that's a, a very unique strategy that you're you're going after i imagine it's hard to i mean how, I, I don't even know what the facts are but like how many barbers are there in the United States, I mean, globally, I mean, who knows? It's probably in the, I don't know, a million or something like that. But Absolutely. I mean, and it's changing, and it's changing rapidly. I think um, the BLS reported like barbering is one of the fastest growing industries in the nation. I think it was like 10% year over year through the next like five to 10 years. We think in the US, there are roughly three to 400,000 barbers, specifically in the market we're going after today, which are these monopop shops, predominantly people of color. Well, they spend over $21 billion a year in haircuts, right? And we think about the larger market of people domestically, that's $40 billion, just in haircuts around the country. And to your point, globally, we have barbers today in Canada. Barbers in UK have been asking for our platform, as well as Mexico, Australia, and several other countries around the world. So we think there's a huge opportunity to really build a global barbershop brand that hasn't really existed. And that's the, that's the journey we're on. And that's what we're excited about every day. Just as someone who lives this market, what's going on in the barber landscape? You said it's one of the fastest growing markets that are out there. Why is it, you know, entrepreneurship is now the self-made entrepreneur that wants to like run their own business? Is that the trend that's kind of happening in over the next decade? Or I think it's a, it's a little bit of that as well as a few other things. People are looking for new ways to your point to run a business, to make a living for themselves outside of traditional schooling, right? you know, education costs have been through the roof. Like people are looking for new ways to go out and make a living without having to be saddled with debt. I think you're also looking at the trend of men's grooming being more widely accepted. When you looked at, I think it was 2015 was the first year that men's like searches for like grooming and facial care products start to outpace that of women, right? And so when you see an increased demand like that, you need more supply. And so I think that's created an opportunity for more barbers to come up in the industry. And then within the industry, like I think you'd also see things like 
the growing trend of salon suites where barbers no longer have to like rent out a booth space within a traditional barber shop. They can rent out call it like co-working spaces for the beauty or like some service professionals. And then that they're able to create their own experience and their own vibe. And you've seen a lot of barbers um, lean towards that trend in the industry. And that's kind of where we, that's where we play and find the most success because our platform is literally for those type of barbers where they don't have, again, like, the brand of a barbershop to drive that foot traffic and walk-ins. And so those barbers are able to use the cut and get that visibility and get those new business in a way that they weren't before. Well, you know, I, I can't think about this market without thinking about some of the other players in this space. I mean, there's lots of companies that, as you know, because you're, you're, you're competing in this market that are building software for sort of small businesses and everyone's trying to differentiate. And we know that they're legacy players like MindBody, but there are also some modern players uh, like Squire I've been getting more familiar with. One thing you shared is you're really serving the barber, but like, how are you distinguishing the cut from this market? And how are you thinking about sort of barbershops relative to barbers and how you think about what's happening with barbershops relative to building a product for the barber itself? Absolutely. It's a great question. To your point, there's a few other players in this space, those who focus on like the broader beauty sector. So that includes, you know, stylists, estheticians, but then there are some others that are more focused on the barbershop community. And so the way we differentiate ourselves from some of those players is that, like you mentioned, we focus on the individual barber. That's kind of where we hang our hat. And when we think about our product and our experience, we are designing it around them, as well as the customers who are coming to the cut to discover those barbers. Probably every month, over 50,000 new people are able to discover a barber on our platform. And so that's kind of what we really leaned into is building this brand for barbers to get discovered by clients because that focus is how we built that brand on the consumer side and how we become, we're becoming the de facto place for if you want to find a barber, you come to the cut. But yeah, that's kind of how we think about ourselves versus some of the other players in the space. When you think about barbers versus barbershop, yeah, there's a ton of obviously barbershops where these barbers work. We are taking, again, that bottom-up approach where we target the individual barber. That doesn't mean we can't provide a solution for the shop owner to provide a better oversight over oversight or just like a better look into what's going on within the shop. So that's kind of how we look at it. And that's kind of how we're working towards today. What if you're like a barbershop owner and I can imagine some of the barbers that are using the cut are also owners themselves. And I have to imagine some, some interesting sort of overlap there. But ultimately, there's this whole set of things that are necessary to like run a barbershop relative to just managing your own clientele and, and serving them through, through your platform. Like, how do they think about their own barbershop needs versus their own personal barber needs if you are kind of one of those individuals that are kind of deciding how to manage your barbershop versus their own personal needs? Absolutely. So we actually, to your point, we have a ton of barbers who are shop owners who use the platform today. And when we think about how do we build solutions for them versus the individual barber, I mean, with anything else is around like conversations and customer discovery. So we talk to them frequently and we try to get insight and feedback on what's important to them. And that's why we've like taken a strategy we have today is because for the barbers on our platform predominantly, the need for a shop version hasn't been the highest. However, we want to be able to service all the people on our platform. And so we are definitely in conversation with a ton of our barbers and like deciding on what a solution may look like, what like our mission critical features or what experience is like make or break for them versus kind of what are nice to have because we want to make sure that we build um, what's important versus 
you know, kind of what's becoming de facto across, you know, the space. I was kind of looking at the cut. You have a, you have like a free product and then you have this paid product. Like tell us about the difference between your free, your, how you think about building free products. I mean, obviously it's probably a lot to manage a, a free platform that's being used by uh, so many millions of, of people. And then you're trying to drive conversion to your subscription products. How do you think about what should be paid versus free? And how is that adoption of your subscription products? So when we came out the gates, we were free for barbers to use. So they didn't pay a monthly fee. We made money as we processed transactions on the platform. Those are still today our key revenue drivers. However, we started to introduce a couple, a couple new ones. More to come on that later. But how do we think about pricing? I'd say that once we switched over and started charging barbers a monthly fee, that decision was made through trying to understand, you know, what made business sense in terms of like the value that barbers are getting from the platform. And so literally that as well as everything else that we do comes around pricing. It's like trying to really pair together like the value that the barber is receiving versus what they would get in like the free version. So today in our free version, we essentially have a booking tool for a barber to use to manage their own schedule. So a barber can book his own, his own appointments and they will live on a schedule within the app. That's our free version. So in that, a barber doesn't get discovery. So he can't be found by other people. Clients can't book with him. And so that's like two of the biggest value adds that we have around one discovery, right? You know, free marketing and we to build your business. And then two, which around that time save, that time save of texting clients back and forth, the ease of use of a client being able to just book at their convenience and the peace of mind for you as a barber, where you don't even have to confirm it. Like you set your schedule and you allow people to book again at their convenience and then you just show up with your clippers and you do what needs to be done. And so like, those are like those call it three or four biggest pain points that barbers have expressed to us. And so like understanding how do we separate those from our free versus our paid version, it's how we decided on like, you know, on pricing model today. Got it. Got it. Well, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit and just talk about how you think about advice. You talked about how large this market actually is, but at the surface, it might seem really small. You know, and I, we, we, there's a lot of vertical SaaS companies that are coming up that are saying we do X, Y, Z for this specific market. For yeah. therapists to made services, and I'm always trying to understand how big are these these markets. And I mean, but you see the world differently. You talked about how big and how emerging the barbershop market is. I know that venture capital firms who you probably chatted with are probably asking you the same question. So when asked about is barbershop market big enough, what's your reaction? What do you tell the world? Absolutely. I mean, typically when I or presented with, is the barbershop big enough? Uh, I usually respond with like, what's big enough, right? That's a framing question between who you're speaking to, right? Like if you're talking to investors who are trying to swing for tens of billion dollars in like, you know, returns, evaluations of a company, and that may not be where your business is. That that may not be the trajectory of your business, which is totally fine. Um, But it's a mismatch of alignment. And so to your question specifically, I think that for... The cup being big enough, how do I look at that? And when I think about vertical SaaS being big enough, I think you have to go deep into your vertical, right? And what does that mean? I think that when you, let's take barbershop for a second. Barbershop community, obviously you think about, you think booking software, you think payments, you think e-commerce. And so 
all right, so then you start to like, you know, VCs will do backwards math, the number of barbers in the market, number of people get haircuts, number of products that are sold, you try to do, try to evaluate the market that way, right? But I think if you understand the nuance of the market, you're able to better think about what odd revenue opportunities exist outside of what somebody who may not have real context can see. Think about barbershops, like traditionally, if you go to a barbershop, you could like somebody might be selling you some CDs, they might be selling you some cologne. You know, there was like some element of commerce happening within a barbershop. And so I think if you if you really get creative thinking about value adds to the people within your com- in the community or within the market that you serve and things that they're willing to pay for or problem that they have, you can really start to identify or discover new revenue opportunities that continue to grow your business. And so the way it may be viewed in value today can be completely different tomorrow once you've learned more about that business. As I think about it, ultimately is that like, that's why I prefer a vertical SaaS. I think it's important to really go deep into serving like a customer and learning as much as you can about that customer, because in doing so, you'll discover opportunities to provide value in which people will be willing to pay for. Well, I absolutely love that. And we're, uh, and I'm personally a firm believer of, of what you're sharing is that, you know, you got to really go deep into understanding the nature of that industry and business. And what you're effectively doing is what effectively doing is you're unlocking new opportunity that didn't previously exist. You talked about something that is an interesting derivative of what's happening as businesses, the journey around payments. I mean, you talked about this as a way that you all monetize. I know a lot of, of companies are looking at payments. There, there are so many different types of companies that are in the payment space to create value for their customers. It's also a great economic opportunity for those sort of companies that are embarking on the payments journey. Tell us about your payments journey and what you've learned across the the last few years of offering new ways to help your barbers either invoice and also collect money from their from their clients. For sure, I mean payments are definitely a love pay relationship, right? A lot of hard work goes into payments, whether it's like implementation via partners. I'd say for us, like. We've gone through a couple of different payment partners in our past before we just ended on Stripe, which we love. And I'd say that's probably one of like the biggest mistakes I wish we had gone with Stripe out the gate. Could have solved a lot of time, pain, headaches, but we eventually landed there. So what has our journey been like? I think it's really, again, a journey of discovering how you're providing value. How do you build a payment experience that is intuitive and provides value in which people are willing to use? I would say specifically about the barbershop industry, traditionally it's cash based, as I'm sure many people know. And so when you think about this industry and some of the others, like that proclivity to try to like avoid digital payments is something that we, the challenge that we were faced with. And so along the way, we've had to build features. We've had to build experiences that have the right environment for our barbers and our customers to adopt our payments at a higher rate. That's been a lot of, a lot of learning, but today, yeah. We've grown our payments on our platform like 50x over the last few years, if not more. And so, yeah, now we're super excited about payments as a part of our business. I will say one thing, you know, it's as payments become more of a utility, I think you'll see a lot more ease of use for different platforms, or I guess connect like you know, integrations between different platforms. Even today, you're starting to see Cash App assumed they're going to be accepted via Stripe. 
So like this will make payments on our platform. And I imagine a lot of other platforms easier where like people who have money saved across different like money movement apps can use them in a central location. And I think again, that's just like providing another level of convenience to customers. And that's everything when it comes to payments. I know you, you mentioned that you transitioned from one solution to another. For folks that are very early in their journey, what advice do you have for them on how to think about how to decide who to partner with, knowing that you've landed with one sort of uh, direction, but given that there is a myriad of solutions that are out there, what advice do you have for folks that are on that journey of embedded finance and kind of specific you know, payments as a, as a starting point? I'll give very specific feedback perspective here. You should make sure that there is true alignment within you and your partner and you understand their commitment to whatever initiative or project you guys are working on. Because that's something that hurt us is that one of the partners we're working with to build out our payment solution, they ended up like nixing the whole project. And so that was what like set us back and like forced like a kind of like a fire cell for us to try to like land to where we were with Stripe. But yeah, I think making sure with whatever partners you're working with that one, you have two alignment and like the roadmaps and everybody understands what's coming and what that time frame may be looking like. And then two, it's like having a backup plan, obviously, for anything else falls falls through. But yeah, I would say that for sure. Just making sure that there's true alignment with you and your partner on what, what's being expected. Well, Obi, I think that's always good to make sure there's alignment between what you're trying to achieve and, and the business of, that, of, of the partner. And we certainly see that in the nature of some of the things that we offer at Gusto. I want to close off with just advice to other founders that are on the building journey of serving small businesses. I have a few questions here. You know, one is just, you know, you're a pretty small team. I know that there's a lot of innovation happening in vertical SaaS. There's a lot of emerging teams that are starting vertical SaaS initiative businesses. When you think about all the things you have to do, you know, which I imagine given you're a marketplace, you're serving barbers, you're serving the consumer. There's an opportunity for even the barbershop owner. There's a lot of things to work on and, and you always have to make tough calls on what to prioritize. How do you go through the prioritization process? And like, what advice do you have for other sort of founders on how to be opinionated with their product strategy and their roadmap overall? Absolutely. To your point, small team, Oh, a little bit more than a handful of developers, but still not nearly enough that we need. So if you're looking for a job as an engineer, there's definitely higher. How do we think about it? I think when we make decisions, we look at it on the axis of kind of impact to the business and then obviously like level of effort, like how long, how much work, how involved, how much of the team is this going to like um, require uh, their attention. But then we also look at it like, does this like, obviously does it directly impact like some of our key business metrics KPIs, and then also like, does it indirectly impact some of those metrics, right? Does a feature, call it as a feature, may not like drive transactional revenue or it may not immediately drive transactional revenue, but it might impact churn and retention. So now you're able to retain more barbers, more customers, and then that compounds itself and you have more net revenue down the road. And so when we think about how do we prioritize, it's on that, it's level of impact, direct or indirect impact towards business metrics. And then lastly, one thing that we look at is like user sentiment, which is more like whether or not our customers have been asking for a feature versus whether or not it's something we think will be cool that they haven't acknowledged or hinted about. 
when we look at that, sometimes that's a little harder because like sometimes you have the vocal minority who like express interest in things that don't really impact the rest of the users. And so we found success like looking at just like data and how our product is being used to help us identify like when we if we should roll out certain features or how we should change or like adapt our product. But yeah, those are like those three ways that we typically use to prioritize or rank product rollout or design our roadmap, level of effort, impact on KPIs. And then like our user sentiment. Just as you look back at your things about six year, six, seven year journey that you made a decision. And I know that some of these investments can take months to quarters to like really realize that value. Did you ever bite on more than you can choose? And where you kind of look back and say, Hey, I, I would have made a decision a little bit differently based on this, this framework that you just walked through. I think the easy one is probably, like I said, just like choosing the right payment partner out the gate. That's a mistake I wish we had made differently. In that time, I think with the information we had, we made the right decision. But now looking back, I wish we had gone a different way. In terms of like product-wise on something we decided to build that we shouldn't have had, I would say one thing that is probably it's still getting used. So call it our like cancellation of show policy. So like, you know, an appointment, a barber can set up their cancellation no show policy. So like even if somebody if a client doesn't show up, whatever, that barber can still be some of those funds for their time. And so it's being adopted by you by barbers, just not at the rates at which they express they would. And so I think in that we understood the level of work that it took. We understood the impact that you have on our business. I think the user sentiment is a piece that we're still doing a lot of learning around is like the exact use case or like the experience which they expect around that whole engagement. And so we have some things that we're cooking up. But yeah, that was one thing that I think we built out. And in hindsight, I wish we had spent a little bit more time talking to them because this is kind of what other apps had. And I wish we spent a little more time talking to them to try to see exactly what the experience would be so that we can build something better out, um, which we're doing now. Well, I, I want to close off with where we started about you and your story and just thinking about all of the people we get the opportunity to meet that are also starting a company. You know, we've been with a lot of companies that have are bootstrapped in the vertical SaaS market. They're trying to decide whether to raise money or just keep at it. You all decided to go off and after a few years and raise some some venture capital. I mean, it's my understanding that you didn't have to do that, but you decided to why did you decide to do that? And what made you led to that conclusion? And for our founders that are out there that are on that same journey, how do you help them make that personal decision and choice? Like, What are the things to think about as you're thinking about going at it without a partner, without a venture sort of capital partner versus just going at it from a bootstrapped method? Absolutely. Understand what you're raising money for. I'd say it's probably the big thing. To your point, the first four years, we first four and a half, five years, we were bootstrapped. We were living at home with our parents. Like we were growing the business, like we were happy with our progress, and we didn't need huge amounts of funds at that point. We weren't necessarily ready as well. But once we got to a certain point where we, where we were ready to expand the business, you know, hire additional engineers, start to explore more paid ads, and start to have more of a presence in the industry, that's when it definitely made sense for us to bring on additional capital to help us accelerate and reach the goals that we had set. And so that's when we went out and raised our VC fund, our VC round, and we like have our amazing partners and investors which we love. And yeah, they're helping us reach our goal faster. That's what these funds have allowed us to do. And the trade-off is that is obviously you sell equity in your company, so you lose ownership, right? 
And you know, it's the small piece, big pie. It's that whole debate. And so that's the conversation you got to have with yourself and understand what your goals are for your business. And again, align them with the VCs or investors that you potentially end up working with because, you know, it's not two-year arrangement. Like these things can be five, 10 years. And you want to make sure that they understand your vision. You guys are aligned on expectations, benchmarks, goals, and targets because those are those easy ways for that relationship to come estranged along the way. But yeah, I would say like whenever you think about fundraising, don't look at raising funds as that's not the mark of success. It is a way to get to levels of success. I feel like sometimes in the media today, if you look at people who raise money, it's like, oh, these companies are suffering going to raise a lot of money. But in reality, like, you know, even with Calendly, like they had one round, they became like one of the billion dollar companies were like, without having raised any money. And I think that's the better market success of so you're able to build a profitable company and you're able to grow with the own cash flow that you've created without having to raise subsequent rounds of funding or subsequent rounds of money. That's true success in a business. And so, yeah, understanding kind of what your goals are, what your expectations are as a business will help decide when you should raise money and how much and from where. And you, you have a, you're out in the DMV area. And, you know, when, when I think of uh, the companies that are typically raising rounds in the vertical SaaS space, you know, we're thinking New York and San Francisco. Yep. And, you know, there are a lot of founders that have deep, deep industry expertise because they've like come from that market and they're not in those metro areas. What advice do you have for them who are trying to seek capital? I mean, obviously DMV is a very attractive market for venture capital too. So it's sure. like, it's not the same relative to some of the like the Valley. Yeah, for sure. That we're familiar with like, did you have any challenges there? And what do you advice do you have for founders that are kind of going through that journey themselves personally? Absolutely. I mean, Definitely had challenges, but I would say first and foremost is know your market, right? Like to your point here in the DC, a lot of the capital or investment is really into like security and government funding. And then more recently, you've seen a lot more in commercial, but like that space and I get ed tech as well are like a lot of where the financing goes. Did we raise a lot of money from here? One of our investors in the last round, our lead investor, they are from the DC local, but like our other investors are from the like from the West Coast of California. What advice would I have is reach out. I believe I'd like to call myself the master of the cold email. One of our investors was out of the, like literally a cold email I sent down. They, really, they cut a check like two weeks later. And so, yeah, I'd say reach out to everyone, every investor you think would have interest in your business. And if you think that you would add value to their portfolio, the reason why I'm saying reach out is they're looking. Investors are looking. I talked to investors today, like they're looking for businesses outside of these key markets because it's cheaper to run a business. Like as we know, you know, run a software company, like your business expense is typically like engineering talent, right? And so like, you know, you could pay an engineer 300,000 in California or you could pay an engineer 150 in Tennessee. And so when you think about your cost structures of business, being in these non-tech hubs actually puts you at an advantage, right? Because you're able to build a business with different economics, that make you more attractive to VCs. And I think that's for us why we love being in DC. Like we could have been in California, but we decided to move back here. It just made sense for us to grow a team here. And like one, our audience, our demographic is here, which is important. And so all the things like just put us in a better position to build a company that VCs will find attractive because capital can be deployed anywhere. As long as you reach out again further. Well, Obi, congrats on the cut. Congrats on your success. I know this is, is still early days and, and for you all, and it's still early days for the barbershop market and excited to, to follow you all as you all build this amazing business and, and sort of 
barbers and and people like me who are trying to find a great barber along the way. I know that you're also looking to hire engineers. I know you're you know trying to get connected to Jay Z. Um, <laughs> that uh, probably are engineers that are also looking to to learn more about the cut. You know, OBS. That's you. What's the best way they can get in touch with you and the cut to go deeper on these topics, but also just connect with you in general. Absolutely. Uh, you can hit us up on Instagram and TikTok at the cut app, T-H-E-C-U-T-A-P-P. Follow us. We're responsive. DM us. We're responsive. Like you said, we're hiring for engineers for a couple of business roles as well. Like you said, six and a half years in, we booked over 50 million appointments. So we're a billion dollars of revenue generated for barbers around the country. We're really here to build a global barbershop brand that will stand the test of time and inspiring people with every cut. Remember, remember, I know you're trying to get in touch, in touch with Jay-Z. So, and I'd, oh, love yeah. to, I'd love to know someone that knows Jay-Z too. So, <laughs> Me too. We, we all want that to happen. And maybe we can get to Beyonce as well. Just, you know, once you know, you know, I'll show you she'll come around to dinner maybe one night. <laughs> well, that's all the ha- that time we have for today. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show. Thanks again for listening. And Obi, thank you so much for your time today. No problem. Thank you so much, Summer, for having me. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to listening. Thank you for listening to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com.